Welcome to Metro 30, the Metro Monthly's weekly conversation with the community. Welcome to Metro 30. I'm your host, Mark Paco. Today we have Keith Mason in the studio. Keith is a retired championship rugby player, motivational speaker, and actor. He is currently working on the launch of Rugby Blood, a graphic novel that tells the story of his early struggles. Keith joins us today to talk about this project, his life after professional sports, and the importance of pushing forward. Welcome to the show, Keith. Oh, thanks for having me, Mark. Such a pleasure speaking to my uh, American friends over the water. I'm looking forward to it. You retired from active play in 2013, but your life has taken some interesting turns since then. Uh, for one, you've developed an acting career. Uh, how did this come about? Well, obviously, you know, when you retire from any sport, if you're not focused on the next chapter, you know, many, many sportsmen go off the wayside and, uh, you know, they struggle. Uh, I did go for my struggles. From a very early age of six years of age up to 31 years of age, I played rugby and I played professional rugby at the top level for 14 years. So what I did is I went through quite a, diffi- a difficult patch, rededicating myself because I think it's really important to rededicate yourself, got myself back in the gym, got myself cleaned up and, uh, you know, threw myself into, into my acting career. And, and through, through that process, you know, I was learning different talents, screenwriting, comic book writing. The idea of a rugby book came, came around about two years ago. I wrote a screenplay with a Norwegian writer called Preben Johannes called Rugby Blood. I sent the screenplay down to Pinewood Studios and Pinewood uh, invited me down there. Uh, you've got the 007 movies being made at Pinewood, uh, James Bond, and you've got the Star Wars movies. So it's quite surreal to, to, after my very first screenplay, to be asked to come down to Pinewood and meet the film producers. So, you know, they said they liked the look of me and they wanted me to rewrite the script and they were looking at making a film for between five and ten million. So I went away and, and I, I worked backwards. I did a bit of research uh, regarding the comic. I thought to myself, why not do a comic as like an Origins, a bit like X-Men, where Wolverine, you've seen the film Wolverine, it shows you Wolverine as a young boy. And what I did is I, I actually made the young boy in the comic myself. Uh, you know, me having a pretty, a pretty wild childhood, being in trouble with the law, you know, taking a lot of time to find my way and, and, and ultimately get out of that situation, being in trouble with the police and going to court from time and time again you know, living with a single mum. Uh, she did love me dearly, but, you know, when I'm out in the open, uh, you're around guys who are not very good for you and, and you get, you know, you get peer pressure. And I got myself in a lot of sticky patches and uh, ultimately, you know, I got out of there and, and had a successful rugby league career. So everything I put into rugby blood is all the experiences, all the sacrifices I made and just my journey back into the comic, which I think will enable kids to look at and realize that, you know, if you want something, it's not easy. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be really tough. But if you're willing to sacrifice, then you will achieve no matter what. And my, my story is testimony to that, you know. And going on uh, to, to launch the franchise with Betfred Super League, or, uh, Super League Europe, who is the actual uh, organization, the top league in, the, in, in, Super, in Europe, uh, Rugby League, Super League, buying into my vision with Rob Elston, who came from Everton Football Club, is now the CEO of Super League saw my vision and saw where we could take this and how I could help uh, market and uh, promote Super League on all seven continents of the world through my comic and through the Netflix series and, and ultimately the, the film. The deal will be signed in the next day or two. I've just been offered to be a face of a brand for Kilo Gear, which is in America. They're going to sponsor the comic and I'm just about to launch uh, my own CBD company, Keith Mason, 
uh, CBD, cannabis oil, uh, and it's all legal. Keith Mason Recovery Alliance. Just signed up with an agency, Paradigm Agency, and, and they're trying to get me out there as the next action star coming out of Britain. So it's exciting times. How did you go from a sports career to acting? Uh, that's not a transition a lot of people can make. Uh, how'd that happen? Uh, obviously, getting the opportunity with Mickey Rock. Uh, Mickey Rock, uh, I met in uh, 2009 after playing in the final, uh, uh, the Challenge Cup final at Wembley, the famous Wembley Stadium. And we got invited out to uh, a bar in London, and I met Mickey Rock, and it was the it was the year of his comeback, and I saw him walk past me, and uh, you know I wanted, I wanted to introduce myself to him, which I did. He, he turned around and asked me if I was an athlete. What it was, a gangster? Because we all have the same suits on. All the rugby <laughs> players have these uh, cup final suits on, uh, a grey suit with black shirt. And I said, No, 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 Mickey, I play rugby, and you know I played in a big final in front of ninety thousand fans today. And and he turned around and goes, I, I watched that game, man. I watched it. I, he said he watched it in uh, in his hotel room, and he said he was a big fan of rugby. So I cut a long story short. He gave me his details. Uh, we became friends from that night on and uh, he invited me down to the GQ Awards in London uh, where he won the Man of the Year. Jason Statham awarded him uh, the uh, honour and uh, me and Jason Statham and Mickey Rock was together all night uh, as an as a awesome threesome. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Mickey from there invited me over to America to Beverly Hills to stay with him and over to New York and you know I'll be forever forever grateful Mickey gave me my opportunity in, in films he gave me a call back in 2013 and asked me if I would screen test and, and, and be in a film and play his henchman uh, in the film called Skin Traffic which had Eric Roberts and Daryl Anna Michael Madsen uh, Mickey Rourke who played my boss and, and that's how my career started uh, I just wanted to go back to how, how uh, creative rugby book came about you know, Mickey gave me an opportunity what's probably, you know, 10 million to one. You know, I've never done acting before and he put me in a film. Not only just be in a film, but have lines in a film. It just gave me, a, just gave me another, uh, another vision, another focus, you know, after rugby. You have an interesting background. Uh, you know, you've talked, I've, I've listened to other interviews with you and you've talked about the challenges of growing up and everything. Uh, for people that aren't aware of what your background is, can you talk about that? Uh, well, I was uh, I was one child of five. Uh, my mom was a single parent, and uh, you know, uh, from from day one when I was born, I came out with a black eye. So, you know, my future was de predestined for me that I was going to be, uh, you know, quite physical. And uh, you know, growing up in a neighbourhood was quite run down. It was uh, the heroin epidemic of the whole of UK. It was uh, one of the worst areas in Jersey uh, and me being such a vibrant and uh, energetic kid, you know, I'd, I'd, my mom nurtured me. You know, she she put me into rugby. Uh, she believed in me. Uh, my dad wasn't about. He, he left before I was born. Uh, and you know, I had, I had a pretty I had a pretty wild start to my life. You know, I was always you know playing rugby and but never really focused and disciplined. Because when I came out, when I stepped outside the door. You know, there was, you know, there was there was stuff out there what kids shouldn't be seeing. And I was seeing a lot of that. You know, I was you know, at one stage in my life, I'd be in a house and I'd be sat in between a smackhead and a crackhead, you know. But I wasn't a bad kid. I was just surrounded by lots of kids without any fathers, you know. And 
you know, I believe that, you know, kids should have mentors in their life and, and, and especially men, because I always looked up to men. You know, I didn't see much of my old man, my dad, but I, I, I was always looking for that father figure. And what happened is from probably uh, from 11 to 14 years of age, you know, I, I, I appeared at court around 45 times. So, you know, I was arrested probably 50, 60 times in, in a period of four to five years. Uh, you know, a lot of it was petty stuff. But, you know, when you're a young kid full of beans, full of energy, and you're, and you're out and you're hanging around with gangs, you, you do get into a lot of trouble. And, you know, it wasn't really tough for me. And, it, and my mum, it was tough for my mum as well because she had to fight tooth and nail. You know, I, I, got, I got kicked out of nearly every school I went to. Uh, you know, maybe I was just looking for attention. But for me to get out of that situation, uh, you know, and just to turn my life around, I mean, the, the last time I went to court when it was when I was 14 years of age. Uh, and the guy who, did, who I did most of the trouble with, he, came, he went to court with me and he got sent to jail. And this was for a robbery. Uh, he, he, he robbed a house and he gave me a call and asked him to help him. I'm a young kid, man. I'm 13 years of age. So, you know, I, I'm, I don't think logically. And, uh, you know, I just got roped into things. And uh, we got caught and we went to court. Uh, Bradford Crown Court, and, uh, you know, ju uh, the kid got two years in jail, and I got uh, a two-year probation. And from that very that very same day when I walked out of that court, it just felt like a spiritual awakening that uh, I was desperate to get out of the situation I was in. Uh, I thought to myself, listen, you've, you've got to so you're a book your ideas up now, and you've got one last shot, you know, and uh, I stopped everything. From that day on, I walked out of that court, and I said to myself, I want to be a rugby league player. I don't know what came over me. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I know it sounds really profound, but, you know, from a 14-year-old kid to all of a sudden just rid of every negative thing in his life, just in one day, make a decision to turn his life around. And I think that has enabled me to go on and have a successful career, uh, being able to, for me to, to deal with hardships and push through hard times and... and, and and, uh, you know, you see a lot of the stuff on the outside, you know, this guy's doing great, you know, he takes care of his missus, he's had a long career, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's won titles, he's had a, a fruitful career, now he's going into acting and, he, you know, he's an entrepreneur and businessman, but, you know, really, uh, all that's come from that 14-year-old kid, you know, wanting to turn his life around and get, a, get, a, get, a, get out of that situation. Uh, I cut all my friends off. And uh, I started running from the very next day, started getting up in the morning, 6, 7 a.m., started doing the miles. And I just had this uh, ultimate belief that I, that I could make it, that I could be somebody and uh, be a star. And I had this vision and it never left me. And all my friends who I used to hang around with, like, Keith, man, what are you doing? Come on, chill with us, you know. And I just said, listen, don't worry about me, guys. Just, just, just leave me. Leave me alone. I could see where my life was going. I could see people around me. I were dropping dead from drugs. Uh, you know, I saw probably too much than what a young kid should see. So, you know, I, I, I kind of grew up real quick. But, uh, yeah, I just always go back to that 15, 14-year-old kid. If I've ever got a problem or if I'm struggling or, you know, if I'm lacking a bit of self-belief, I just look and, and, and just look how far I've come. You know, uh, no one was pushing me. It was just solely on myself that I wanted to be somebody. And, and, and obviously my mum... You know, I had to believe in me and, and put a roof over my head. But even she didn't know that I'd, I'd go as far as I did. Uh, and ultimately, you know, 
by the time I was 19, I was the youngest ever player to go to the NRL, which is the best competition in the world uh, in Australia, and jump on a Qantas flight. And I, I remember jumping on that flight and sitting back and just closing my eyes and thinking, wow, I had a flashback of being ready to go to jail just four years before that. What year was that when you were 14 years old? Yeah, that would have been about 1996, I think. Okay. Uh, and that following year, that following year, I went back to my old club, uh, Jules Bimor. Uh, we had a great, outstanding season. Uh, I had a standout season. I got selected for my county, uh, which is Yorkshire. Then I got selected for the England schoolboys the same year. Uh, we, we travelled with the best 25 players in the country to France, which we beat France 54-2. Uh, and then I came back and ultimately, ultimately I signed a professional contract with Wakefield. But before that, before I actually signed with a, a Premier team, uh, so if you put it in these terms, uh, the, super, the English Super League is, is equivalent to the NFL. So okay. you go from playing junior football, and then you go into the big leagues. And, and, and I was looking to sign a, a Super League team. So when I came back, I was the only player, and one of a player, who hadn't signed a full-time contract with a Super League team. So I decided I'd go to Bradford, Bradford Bulls. I trialled there for a, for a little while. Uh, the coach turned around and said to me, we're not going to sign you on a full-time contract, but we will offer you £50 a week just to come keep coming. And uh, obviously I was disheartened. You know, that was... My first knockback. Then I thought I'd give it another go. I went to another Super League club to play in their academy. Uh, I went to Castleford, and uh, the coach said the same thing. I wasn't. They wasn't going to sign me. So I'm thinking to myself, Wow, you know, I've come this far. Uh, you know, I've worked. I've worked so hard. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, when I turned my life around, I used to actually train on Christmas Day. You know, I'd go into the uh, cemetery and. And I'd do hills and sprints for, 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 for maybe two hours. And the reason why I did it on Christmas Day, because I knew there's a big chance that nobody else is doing it. And that gave me a mental edge. It gave me that. And, and, and I've always, you know, wanted to do things that nobody else has done. I like to go against the grain. Uh, and, I, and I know to, to make it in life, if you want to be something, you have to make sacrifices and I think that resilience from a young boy got me through all the knockbacks from from the Super League teams. Did the uh, did the resilience uh, lead to the idea that you needed to keep pushing forward, or I mean, where did that discipline come from? Was it how was that instilled? In you? <sighs> yeah, that's such a that's such an interesting question. Do you know what? I, I, I don't really know. I just knew when I was a kid, you know, I, was, I could play rugby and I had this drive in me, but it was never full on. It, you know, I'd go out and I'd, call, I'd get into a lot of trouble and I'll put all my, all, all my energy into, into negative stuff, into, you know, stuff that wasn't uh, productive. And uh, I think me seeing so much as a young kid uh, and having... To, to, to change through desperation because I, I believe in life you change through other two things and that's through pain or desperation and I was desperate to get out of the situation I was in I could see where my life was going and uh, it just gave me this hunger inside of me man and, and I believe that it's either you're born with it or you nurture it through your circumstances as you're growing up and I think I had a bit of both and, and I think like you said the discipline and the resilience 
I'm built over time because I trained so hard as a 15, 15, 16 year old kid. So when these knockbacks kept on coming, any young kid who was 16 and 17 would have quit. They would have thought, well, they're not good enough. You know, this is not for them. But I looked at it as, you know, what else am I going to do? You know, I can't work. I can't use my hands. I'm not very good. I'm not a very good handyman. Uh, and I did hang in there. And I went to Leeds Rhinos. Leeds Rhinos is a big club. They've won many, many trophies. Uh, Dean Bell was the coach there. And I went there and uh, I trialed there for about three or four months. I had a great pre-season, off-season. Uh, I thought I was doing really well. I used to catch three or four buses three or four times a week. So I'd get on the bus to Dewsbury, another bus to Leeds and Leeds to Headingley. You know, I'd be get, catching like 25 buses a week just to go and get an opportunity. All these kids at this at this club, was they was all signed. And uh, I, I was there for about around four months. I was 17 now. And I remember the, the, the coach, Dean Bell, he was the captain of New Zealand and uh, Wigan Warriors, uh, two big teams of New Zealand in the country. He was a very well-known uh, rugby league player, now a coach. And he, he just said to me one day, you know, come here, Keith, I want to... Want to have a chat with you? I said, yeah, no, no problem, Dean. And he just turned around and goes, look, Keith, uh, we're not going to sign you. Uh, your trial's over. And I don't think you'll ever play Super League. I just don't think you're a Super League player. Now, uh, how did you overcome that? Oh, well, listen, man, you know, how would you, you know, knowing where you come from, uh, knowing how hard you've worked, and then, and then free clubs, free clubs now, had said to me, I'm not good enough. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, is this, is this not my time yet? Uh, you know, I just couldn't believe it. I, obviously, I was gutted. I was gutted. I was disappointed. Uh, and, you know, him, him even saying that I'll never play Super League. So I went away. I was disheartened. I was going to leave the game. I was going to walk away. I was going to quit. I don't know what I was going to do, but I just couldn't handle the rejection. After rejection, after rejection, after all the hard work, why, why are these kids and not me? Uh, I don't think it was a talent thing. I just, and now I believe, you know, God put these obstacles in front of me to, uh, to see how bad I wanted it. And a guy came in to come and tell me, he said, listen, Keith, just give it one more shot. I was going to quit. Just give it one more shot. And uh, I did. I hung in there. I signed for Wakefield for around... £5,000 for the year, full-time contract. John Arbin was a coach. John Arbin was a very influential coach of mine. And uh, I signed for Wakefield the same season. It was halfway through the season, the regular season now. I signed for Wakefield, and uh, Wakefield, haven't, they haven't won a game all year. There wasn't a very good big club. There wasn't a very good team. And my first game, I got the man of the match. Uh, I did some ridiculous amount of tackles, like 40 tackles and 27 hit-ups, carries, whatever you want to call them. And uh, we won the game. So it was the first win in 11 games. And we actually went on to win the next 11 games. Uh, and I never, I, ne I never looked back, Mark. You know, when all the knockbacks really kind of propelled me to greatness because when I signed for Wakefield, I was like a man possessed... I just wanted to win every training session. I, you know, I, I looked after my body and I just had this fire inside of me. Why did he sign you? John Harbin. John Harbin. Uh, well, it was actually uh, it was actually a scout. A scout had seen me. And 
obviously me being knocked back by these three clubs wasn't my time. But, you know, it, it wasn't the fact that I didn't have talent, that I, that I couldn't play. I, I can't explain it. But I thank God that Dean Bell and the rest of them said, said I wasn't good enough because it, it, it instilled something in me, what even up to this day uh, resides inside of me, that anything is possible. And, uh, you know, I don't do no's. I knock on the door and I go through it. If I set, if I set a goal, I go, I, go, I go after it and I get it. And I do it through relentless hard work by reaching out to people, uh, you know, doing the research and just being honest, you know, honest hard work and being honest with myself because at the end of the day, I've got one shot of this life. I want the best out of this life. And up to this day, Dean Bell, uh, him saying that to me is my favourite failure because it, it did, you know, it did propel me to, to, to do great things. And anybody out there who, who keeps getting knocked back or keep, you know, and you're, and you're pursuing something that you love, you just got to keep going, man, because, look, life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It takes time to do something that's great. And honestly, you know, your story will be a testimony that it, it wasn't easy for you, but you, you kept on persevering. And in, the, in that process of persevering, you become a better man. You become a stronger willed man, you know, you become, you, you have a better body, a better mindset. And uh, I truly believe that, you know, if you want to be great, there's going to be obstacles. But when you get, when each obstacle is like a lesson, is like a test. And when you pass that test, you become a better human being. And Dean Bell said, I would never play Super League. At the end of that year, I actually made my Super League debut. I was 17 years old and that's super, super young. Uh, it's very unheard of. And I did make my Super League debut for Wakefield against Castleford. And the following year, when I was 18, uh, we went on to uh, get to the final with Wakefield. And I won the Players, Player of the Year, the Man of Steel Award and the Player of the Year. And we played Leeds and we played Dean Bell's team. And I had a Man of the Match performance against Leeds and we beat them. And Dean Bell, the same guy who said that I would never play Super League, he came over on the, onto the pitch and he shook my hand and he said, you proved me wrong. So where did your career go after this point? Like how, how, how did it progress? Like people always cite like in their early careers, like the most exciting thing that ever happened to them in their career. Uh, was that early or did that come later? Yeah. Uh, no, that I was on, I was 18. So it was only like a year later. Uh, that Dean Bell came to me and said to, said to him that I proved him wrong, which I've, I've done many, many times. You know, when I was a kid growing up, nobody ever thought that I'd go and play international football and win finals and especially go play in America, uh, in Australia, and star in, in movies. And if you think about it, uh, you know, there must have been something going on, uh, whether, I was, whether I was touched by God or whatever, but to be given that strength and that determination to get out of that situation as a young man, uh, you know, I'm, I am super grateful. But you know, it, it, it's what—it's the only way you can make it in life is by just having that blind faith in your ability to succeed. Uh, the following year, uh, I played a full season in the first team. Now I'm playing in the big leagues. Uh, I got—I got the young rising star. I had a standout season. I got a call by Wales to play for Wales. I had a bit of Welsh heritage in, in me. And uh, I, di I didn't even train. I went down to Wrexham. Wales were playing England. It was a full test, full test match. 
and uh, we played against the England team. And our team, we only had two Super League players. The rest of the players were from divisions lower. And we was beating England 26-10 at half-time. Uh, ultimately, they went on to win us. Uh, I think it was 38-32. But it was a man, of, a man of the match performance for myself. And from that game, the best team in the world, the premiers of the NRL in Australia, Melbourne Storm, watched the game and saw me play. And that's how it, me, how it became me signing for Melbourne Storm. They saw a young front row, front, a young front rower. It was unheard of that any Australian teams were signing English players. Uh, there was only one other player called Adrian Morley. But I was 19, I was a baby. And they came over, uh, they flew over, they paid a big fee to Wayfield to get me out of there. Then, ironically, Leeds Rhinos, the team that said I'd never play Super League, the first team came back in and offered me a four-year deal. How ironic is that? So uh, they came back in. I said no to them. And ultimately, I signed for Melbourne. I actually played for England. I got selected for England. And we toured South Africa that following year. And then I signed for Melbourne Storm, which made me the youngest ever player to go to Australia. And that was one of my highlights of my life. It really okay. was. Now... Tell us about the championship games, though. When, when did those come about, and uh, what, yeah, was the, yeah. what was the highlight of that, one of those games? So I, I played in Melbourne for two years. Uh, I had a great time there. You know, I developed, uh, developed my skills. I became a, a better man living out there and uh, made some friends for life and, be, and came back to England a much better player. I signed for St. Helens. There was a few clubs that wanted to sign me, and I signed for St. Helens, which is in Merseyside near Liverpool, and uh, there was like the Premier team. They had a super team. A lot of players were looked up to. Uh, Kieran Cunningham, and Paul Schoolthorpe, Sean Long, Paul Wellens, Chris Joint. Just some great players. And I just came back and uh, made my debut against Wigan, which was the, the, the Derby rivals. And I never played in a game like it before. Uh, I think there was like 25,000 people there, but it sounded like there was 100,000. You see, the rugby fans, they're so, lo they're so loyal and passionate. And uh, unfortunately, we lost to Wigan. But uh, my period at St. Helens was around three years, three seasons there. And the second season, uh, we, we, we played in a Challenge Cup. Uh, what it is, you play a Super League season, you have 27, 27 games, regular season, uh, and then you go into playoff games. And then whoever, wins it, whoever gets the best out of all the playoffs go to Old Trafford at Manchester and play in the grand final. But through the season, you have like... A, a round robin, like a cup, a cup uh, competition called the Challenge Cup. And the Challenge Cup is probably the most, the oldest prestigious cup on the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, been going, it's been going since 1895. Uh, it's a beautiful trophy. And what happens is uh, teams get put in round robins, uh, a bit like playoffs. Uh, you, don't know, you don't know who you're going to play next. And uh, obviously every game gets tougher and tougher and tougher. And you start off in the fifth round. And what happened with our run, sometimes some teams get easy games. So they could play a, a team in, in, in Division 2 or Division 3, depending, depending who they get uh, drawn with. But we, we drew the five top teams in Super League, in our, in our league, one after the other. So we had to play Bradford, Bradford Bulls, which were, they were favourites. We beat them. Then we played Hull. Uh, we beat them. Then we played Leeds Rhinos. We beat them. 
then we then we went to the semi final. We played Huddersfield uh, Huddersfield Giants. We put forty past them, uh, and this was my first Challenge Cup final. Uh, we played Wigan in the final at Cardiff at the Prince of Ballet Stadium. It used to be called the Millennium Stadium, and uh, we we went down to uh, down to Cardiff on the on the Wednesday, and just the build up to the game was amazing, just fantastic. It just memories that I'll never forget. Uh, and we went on to beat Wigan in front of 90,000 fans. And that was, uh, that, that was quite special. Uh, my mum was up in the crowd. And uh, I'd been watching these games as a kid, uh, as a young boy, and, and just dreaming about playing in the Challenge Cup final. But to win one was surreal. And uh, I just knew I was 21, 22 years old, really young. Uh, I had, a, really, I had a, a good game, just missing out on the Lansdale Trophy. And uh, when I picked that trophy up, it's like my, my life flashed before my eyes and I felt like I'd made it, I'd, I'd arrived. And I knew my mum was up in the crowd and she was crying her eyes out. Uh, and, and knowing you know, what me and my mum have been through, uh, to lifting a trophy up in front of 90,000 screaming fans is, is uh, it's quite incredible. And I'm, you know, I'll be forever grateful, but I did work my arse off to get to that spot. Uh, and that was, that was probably the highlight of my career. Okay, I mean, that's an amazing story. Now, what do you think, how would you describe it? What would characterize you? How would you characterize yourself as a player? Uh, what, what, what was it about your, your athleticism or your skill that, that really you think was, made you stand out? Yeah, well, well I think I was blessed with uh, work ethic. Uh, I had, for a big guy, you know, I was, when I played, I was around 230 pounds. That's yeah, US terms, 105, 6 kilo. Uh, I had great leg speed for a big guy. Uh, you know, I got the best training in, in Australia as a young kid, uh, training in 45 degrees heat in the preseason, and uh, I could I, I could push myself harder than everybody else. You know, and I was very aggressive. I was very mobile for a big guy. Uh, very athletic. And, uh, you know, I was a competitor. You know, people knew me. If people you ask people about me, they will probably say that I was an enforcer. You know, a guy who liked to get, get stuck in and not take a backward step and uh, was, didn't fear nobody. Uh, and that's what I was, you know. I just really uh, wore my heart on my sleeve and uh, give it my all. And because, uh, you know, it's like if you look back five years before, I was ready to go to jail. And now I'm, I'm playing in the best competition in the world. You know, the least I can do is not give my. At least I can do is give my best, and uh, you know, people do remember remember me as a, a competitor, uh, a very tough player, and uh, a leader. You know, I was a leader of my teammates. You know, and I, I didn't like bullies. I uh, stuck up for my teammates, and uh, you know, I was a I was a team player, tackled hard, run hard. I remember yeah. you talking about. When you were younger, and I'm talking about, you know, your, your formative years and yeah. bullies at school and bullies in the neighborhood and, and yeah, how you yeah. handle them. I thought that was kind of interesting. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So when, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I was a pretty rough kid. And, you know, when I was like 10, 11 years old, you know, I was getting into fights with grown men. You know, I, I was never a, a bully type of kid, but I could handle myself. I was I was very uh, I was very game, you know. I liked to have fun. I was silly, you know. We were young kids, but if anybody picked on my friends, 
you know, I would be the first one there sorting it out. And, uh, you know, I think that's where I learned my toughness from, from being a young kid. And you know, a lot of my friends were quite a lot older than me. And, you know, I was in many, many street fights. You know, I'd go to different towns and fight kids who were tough in their areas. Uh, and that's how it was when I was a kid back in the 80s. You know, it was like you use your fists, you know. And unfortunately, nowadays, it's, it's you know, it's a gun or a knife. But, uh, you know, I always fought people there was always a reason behind it. You know, it was never like a barbaric attempt to, to jump on somebody or beat somebody. It was always why if someone had touched my friend or if someone had, you know, stepped their authority on me or offered me on, uh, you know, so I was in many, many fights as, as a young kid. And I think ultimately we used to play rugby in the, in the, uh, in the park, in the local park, in, in a bowling green. And the kids who I used to play with was a lot older than me. So I'm, I'm like 11, 12. These kids are 15, 16. So, you know, they, they've gone through puberty and they're, they're, they're well-grown. But I handled myself really well. But it was physical. You know, we used to bash each other. And, uh, you know, like I said, yeah, I was, I was just a rough and rugged kid. Uh, and I think it just, it, it just nurtured me as a, as a, as a player. You know, I, I learned uh, how to be tough against these big kids it, it, playing in the bowling green. Uh, getting dumped in the uh, gutters, so should I say? And uh, yeah, like I say, I've just uh, you know I, I wasn't I wasn't shy of a, of a fight as a as a young kid, and it probably got me in a lot of trouble as well. So yeah, I, I always I always even now you know I protect my friends, uh, but now it's a bit different. You know, I, I, I use all that energy for business, you know, and, and for films and. You know, in a positive way, you know, taking care of my partner and looking after my children. You know, for a lot of people that have retired from sports, yeah, getting over that retirement and finding a new focus or a new a new mm-hmm. thing to do, a lot of athletes can't do that. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the United States, some will go into you know broadcasting or color commentary, or maybe they'll even do they'll get endorsements to you know to promote products. But yeah, yeah. what was the culture like? in England that uh, did you have to move beyond rugby after, after retirement or uh, weren't there options that were parallel to the rugby career that could be explored? Well, if you look at the Americans, you know, for starters, they're in a lot more money, a lot more salary than uh, the English rugby league players, uh, you know, and, and it's a very small percentage uh, of NFL players go on to do punditry or, you know, they're on uh, Sky, they're on ESPN. Or, you know, there's, a, there's only a handful of players. You know, and there's thousands who retire. Uh, and I think in rugby league, there's not, there's nothing in place for when rugby league players retire. Because if you look at rugby league, rugby league is probably the best team sport in the world. I mean, there's no, there's hardly no stoppages. The game can flow for 20 minutes. You know, you've got guys doing 10, 15 tackles in 10 minutes. You know, you're running, you're tackling, sprinting. You know, you're using every aspect of your talent uh, in rugby league. NFL, you're stopping and starting, uh, you know, and in rugby league, you could be in game of play for 20, 25 minutes without stoppage. And I think for me, I'd like to inspire these players, uh, even any sports people or anybody who retires, because if, if you put all your eggs in one basket, and your, your identity is, is of a sportsman. I mean, and that's the wrong thing to do, man. You need to learn different uh, creativity, creative talents. And that's exactly what I've done. You know, I have gone out there and I have uh, 
you know, I, I have tested the waters and I've pushed myself. I've traveled to America. I've traveled to London. You know, I've gone to auditions, uh, five-hour uh, bus rides to London and five-hour bus rides to back just to do a five-minute audition and not get the part. And I've been doing that for years. Not so now because I'm getting breakthroughs, but, uh, you know, I push myself, I, I force myself to, to find a new career because a lot of sports people have a, an identity crisis. When you retire, uh, if you don't keep training, you, keep, you don't keep taking care of yourself, you get into bad habits, uh, you get around the wrong people, and then ultimately the wrong people will, will pull you down. Even though you won't see me, they'll be all like, yes, men, and not really be honest with you. So I think it's really important that you really do plan out your future for when you retire. Now, I'll, I'll be really honest with you now. When I retired, uh, I won a big, a, a big court case against Huddersfield Giants. They tried sacking me for... Uh, gross misconduct, which eventually I went to high court and I, and I won the case uh, for unfair dismissal. And I won around £168,000. Uh, and I was at Castleford at the time. Uh, and to be honest with you, at the back end of my career, I didn't, I didn't have the love for the game. I lost the love for the game because of everything that was going on with, with uh, leaving Huddersfield, Huddersfield sacking me. Uh, I lost my driver license at that same time. Uh, I went from £150,000 a year to zero. Uh, I wasn't seeing my children. I have two different mums, so, you know, it's always been difficult to see my kids. And there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on me uh, as an athlete to, to be focused with all that going on around me. And uh, I retired from the game prematurely. You know, my son, Lucas, uh, I was his idol, his hero. And I didn't even, I didn't even explain to my son that, I'm going to stop playing. I'm going to retire. It's just that that's where I was at my life at that time. And I just walked away. I just left it. I had some money. I could, uh, I just did the film with Mickey Rock. Sorry, Mickey Rock. Uh, I think it was two weeks after the court case win. He came in and gave me a call. And he says, kid, do you want to be a part of a movie? Which was, which was fantastic. And ultimately that gave me a bit of a push to retire because I thought, well, I'm still in one piece. Uh, you know, I'm still in good shape. But the love for the game's not there. Maybe I can go into acting and give it a go. I know it'll take time. Uh, and what happened is, you know, when I retired, I just got undisciplined. And, uh, you know, I was going out a lot, partying, drinking, uh, burning money. Like, the money wasn't even, even a concern to me. I wasn't even interested in the money. Uh, you know, I just felt like, I'd left something behind what was part of my life, what, what saved me, which was rugby league, and just walked away from it. I, just, I wasn't happy how, how rugby league treated me at that time. And, uh, you know, I had, like I said, I had, a, I, I had an identity crisis. I was going out a lot. I was drinking too much. Uh, I was burning money. Then I had a, ne a near-fatal car crash. I crashed into a family. Uh, you know, it was an accident. Uh, but in 2014, uh, from 2013 to 2015, 16, it was hell. It really was. Uh, I won't lie to you. You know, it was really tough. Uh, I can't explain it, but any any professional athlete will tell you when they retire, it's uh, it's like something dies. You know, and to, and I think this is where athletes and sports people struggle because what you've got to do is 
you've got to find another talent. You've got to find, you've got to be creative and find and throw yourself into another career. Because when you're playing sport all your life, if you haven't got like a, you know, like a, what do you call it? Like, you know, if you're not a joiner or you've got, if you haven't got a trade, you're going to really struggle because people will start change, you know, start uh, treating you differently, looking at you differently. Even your own family will start looking at you differently. Uh, and my, my father actually came into my life at 16 years of age when everything was going really well. And he was there all the way through my career when it was all going well. But when I retired, he was out. He was gone. Uh, but to be honest with you, you know, each to their own. Uh, the guy must have issues. He had issues with himself. Uh, you know, my mom fought two for nil for me. And, and, and she, you know, I, I'm her blood. And uh, I, I love to make my mom proud. And I'm making her proud again now. But the process of retiring and then where I am now, it's quite remarkable because I kind of lost everything. I lost two houses. Uh, I lost my license. I, I got a two-year ban for driving. Uh, and ultimately, I ended up back at my mum's in a small bedroom, homeless. I think it's interesting that uh, you have, it's part of your background, uh, you work as a personal trainer or you did personal training. Uh, was that part of the getting back to maybe being more self-disciplined by going training yourself <laughs> and training others? Yeah, I, like I said, I've always, I've always been a natural helper of people. And I always, I've always liked to help people. But uh, when I lost everything, you know, I was back at my mum's and I was like, wow, you know, this is showtime. Everything I've worked for has gone. Everything I've worked for through my career has gone. You know, uh, you know, true people showed the true colours. Uh, which is now, it's a godsend because now I know, now I'm back up there, now I've worked my way back up there, that I know I know what to avoid uh, and I won't have anybody around me unless that person is, uh, you know, adding any value to my life or someone who, who loves loves me or, you know, is, is a true friend. And it just showed when, you know, when you retire and you're not in the glitz and glamour that people will really just around you because of what you did and not who you are. And, uh, you know, I built myself back up. I thought, wow, I need to be, I need to go into this active mode now. You know, I've got, I, I've made, I've made mistakes along the way, but uh, mistakes are lessons, like I said. But mistakes are lessons. But if you do it again, if you make the same mistake again, it's a choice. And uh, I knew that I had to stop the drinking. Uh, I, I had to cut everybody off again. It's like I, I did a full, I did a full 360. Where I started from, from a young kid, I ended up there. I was back there again. Uh, so I started building myself back up. I started going back to the gym. Uh, I got my focus back. I just rededicated myself. I rededicated myself. started going down to London, doing auditions, jumping on a bus, going five, six hours there, five, six hours back. Uh, then I actually got flown to New York to do some modeling. A company over there flew me to New York, which is quite a quite a surreal uh, experience. You know, me being a rugby player, asked to do a bit of modeling were quite funny. But, uh, you know, it was just, that was just uh, the start of my rise back up. And, uh, you know, from, from uh, was I 30, 34, 35, about 34 years of age, uh, when I started to get my act together, I would, tra I would train in one or two people at the gym and uh, a lady got in touch with me uh, who, who, 
well, ultimately I didn't know, but she was paralyzed. So she reached out to me. She said, well, could you train me? I have a problem with my legs. And uh, so she came to the gym. She jumped out the car. And I said, uh, wow, what's happened to your legs? She went, I'm sorry, I'm paralyzed. I went, really? She went, yeah. I says, right, are you sure you're okay to train? She went, yeah, let's do it. And uh, obviously this lady was Riona Kelly. And uh, so from that day on, uh, I started training Riona. And I learned the lady how to walk again. And, uh, you know, that was kind of my uh, rise again. You know, I was helping a lady who had suffered a spinal stroke, who uh, couldn't walk. You know, she was in an abusive relationship and she was left with four children. And I came into her life and, uh, you know, it just put a lot of perspective in in my own life that I needed to get my act together. Uh, Did you have have this feeling that, here's this woman trying and really doing something that most people would yeah. say was impossible yeah. and that you kind of maybe thought to yourself that you had no excuse. Absolutely. Like you, had, you had to be better too, because yeah, this woman's trying so much and here you yeah. are, you know, yeah, where you self- are. Self-destructing. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He just put, he put everything in perspective. Uh, you know, I do believe that God did put us together <laughs> because you know, since we've been together, as life has been pretty amazing, even though she suffered another stroke just before Christmas and she was laid in that bed, uh, I said that this year will be the best year of his life. But we did eventually get together. Uh, a story came out worldwide. Uh, people loved our story. We, we eventually produced a film together called Driving Force. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just... She was ready to accept my help, and I was ready to accept her. She, you know, she gave me a few uh, odd truths about what I was doing and the decisions I was making. And you know, since meeting Riona, I've gone on to you know started six, seven films. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just about to launch my Ruby Book franchise, which I created an idea for uh, a comic and a film and a TV series, uh, and it's quite incredible. You know, Mark were. <clears throat> our discipline and sacrifice, uh, which I forgot about when I retired. You know, if you don't rededicate yourself, then you're going to struggle. And I think me staying in the gym all the time kind of saved my life. You know, and, uh, you know, anybody out there who's who's struggling, I I think think physical activity is probably the best uh, mental depression uh, reliever out there. Uh, You know, taking care of your body, taking care of yourself, your mind, body, and spirit. And, uh, you you know, I stopped drinking a couple of years ago because I knew when I got with, with Riona, you know, her getting up and she does get up and she does, you know, she makes dinners and stuff. And, and because she's an incomplete, she can still walk on her legs, but she can't feel them. But it, it takes a hell of a lot of effort. And that to me is like, that's inspiring. And, and I think that's what just took me to another level completely. Uh, you know, and, and now just about to launch Rugby Blood with uh, Super League Europe uh, is I'm basically making history once again. <laughs> So, you know, coming up with the idea of David King, uh, he's a rugby star, a bit like a, day, uh, a, bit like a, a Cristiano Ronaldo in the football world. And the, uh, his wife ends up getting kidnapped uh, in the film or comic by the Russians. And, and David King has to save his wife. He's a man's man. He loves his children, loves his kids. Uh, but he's a, he's a rugby superstar. But he does end up becoming like an MI5 agent. And... Uh, you know, I came up with the idea uh, to do a, a comic 
but the comic was like an origin. So it was like a uh, David King as a young man. So, but the actual young man in the comic is me. Okay. <laughs> so it's me and, it, and it's, and it's showing how I live my life as a kid, being in trouble with the law, uh, fighting for obstacles. And then eventually, uh, finding my, finding my way and becoming a superstar rugby player. Uh, but it just shows you me training in the cemetery and, uh, you know, praying to the praying to God to help, and I think it's really important, you know, this this type of story uh, for kids to see. It's a parallel to my life that if you want something, it's not it's not easy. You know, it's going to take a lot of sacrifice. It's going to take a lot of knockbacks. But I'm testimony that you never give in. You never give in, man. If you if if you want it that bad, you keep going. And me at 37 years old, you know, right now I'm the healthiest and fittest I've ever been. Uh, you know, I've just signed a deal with Kilo Gear, which is a company in America who's endorsing me, uh, making me the face of their brand globally, and they will endorse the Ruby Blood comic. And I've just signed a deal with a CBD company, which is cannabis oil, but it's it's all legal. And I've just uh, developed my own brand, the Keith Mason Recovery Line. And this is all in space of six months. But you know, for the last three years, Mark, you know, I've been up at 5 a.m. running, training. You know, there's nothing being happening, and then all of a sudden. Uh, you know, I'm just about to launch a, a franchise. I've just signed with a new agent. You know, Conor McGregor's uh, manager's looking at me. And, uh, you know, all from hard work, though. All, all from hard work and belief. And, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a good position now. But uh, And like I said, I just want to inspire kids out there. I want to inspire sports people that you can push on. Uh, and, and not only that, uh, Mark, I'm giving Super League stars opportunities in films now i've give back to two stars jermaine mcgillivray and conrad hurl and uh i've given two parts in a movie in a film you know I'm, I'm i'm giving back you know i'm helping charities i'm helping young kids uh i've also got five plays in the comic the five superstars of the game in the comic as characters so you know like I say, I'm paying it forward, man. I'm giving back to rugby, rugby league. And, and, and the reason why I called it rugby blood, because rugby's in my blood. And to go back to rugby league in this kind of way, organically, is to say thank you to rugby league. But not only that, you know, launch a franchise. And this could be a legacy changer for myself. You know, as well as going into, into films, this is like my Rocky. Like Sylvester Stallone had Rocky. Well, I've got rugby blood. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of where we're at. And uh, we're looking at launching the comic uh, in Anfield, the Liverpool at the, at the stadium for the Magic Weekend, where all six teams play over the two days, and we will we will sell the 3,000 copies over the two days, and we will have a media launch on the on the Friday, uh, the 20, 24th of May. So interesting though that you came back to rugby, uh, you know, yeah. and, and you said in a different way. That's yeah. uh, you know that's taking a uh, an experience and just turning it into something different. But, uh, you know, you've talked a lot about in your, in your motivational speeches and things like that, you've talked a lot about failure and, and keeping moving forward. Uh, will that message be, will that message be infused into the rugby blood uh, book? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's a few quotes in there. Uh, no sacrifice, no glory, which is a quote that I live by. You know, if you want to, if you want to achieve anything, there has to be great sacrifice, you know. There has to be great sacrifice, but the, the, at the other end of that, you know, the, there's a lot of happiness and 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 I, you know I think in life that we should be 
uh, we should learn kids how to do hard things at, at an early age because, you know, now with the mental health and stuff like that going on through the schools, uh, really we should be learning kids how to mentally deal with things. I don't know if you agree with that, but I, I believe we should because when kids grow up and if they have not been nurtured right, uh, and I think this is why there's a problem now, uh, that kids go out and they get, you know, they end up shooting people, killing people, or you know, living a life of crime. You know, for me, if I'm the best version of myself and I do the best I can be, and I, I am then living a truly purposeful life because I think that you've got to pass it down. For me and my story, uh, if, I can, if I can inspire the next generation to do great, and even though all the knockbacks and all the failures that, have, that have, I've been through, and even now doing something that no one's ever done before from rugby league, and giving back and giving and giving, being able to give uh, relevant superstars of the game now parts in films and and stuff. For me, I just that's just a gimme for me. I just love that. If I can if I can be in a position to help somebody else, I will help somebody else. But I, I think you know, like myself, you know, I, I do get many many messages and, and people saying that I inspire them and and stuff. And you know, how I help my missus walk again. You know, Riona. Uh, but she inspires me as well, you know, and she's my biggest fan and she believes in me. You know, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a group of people around me now, which when I retired, I didn't, I didn't have that support system. You know, I was single. I lived, I lived on my own. I was living in a big house, you know, nice car. And then I just, just kind of, uh, you know, I just crumbled. But to come back from that, that's my biggest, that's my biggest comeback. That is my, I think that was my greatest comeback. Uh, his testimony that you can come back from anything, from losing houses, uh, from, you know, being depressed. I went through a, a state of depression, uh, you know, drinking all the time, trying to block stuff out. And to be where I am now, sober, uh, li- li- loving life, uh, working as hard as I've ever worked before, just about to launch uh, and, and get endorsed by the Super League Europe is, an, is, is absolutely massive, Mark, you know. And I think this is just a start of something really, really special. Uh, you know, I will be able to go out with Ruby Blood. I will be able to reach out to many more people with my story, you know, just to help people, just to, to say, look, never give up. Well, it's a quite an achievement. Congratulations on the, uh, the, the comic that's soon to be launched. It sounds like it's going to lead to a lot of other good things. No, thanks, mate. Uh, it has been a lot of hard work, but, you know, I have... I'm a guy who just, go, just just gets after it. You know, I made the phone calls. I reached out to uh, Rob Elston, who's the CEO of Super League. Rob Elston was at Everton for 10 years. So Everton was one of the biggest clubs in football clubs in England. You know, he's come from a multi-billion dollar organization to a, you know, a very, another big organization in Super League. And what I said to Rob Elston when I met, when I met him with my lawyer, Richard Kramer, I sat down with him and I said, listen, this is the first ever rugby league comic done. I had to sell it to him. And I said that this will be sold worldwide. And there's five players in the comic as characters from Super League. Now, what I can bring to Super League as a marketing tool is that this comic could be opened up by thousands of kids in China, Malaysia, America, Canada, places where Super League would never reach. But that's what I'm bringing to you, Rob. And also the story's unique. Uh, We've done a film, I've written a film, a screenplay, which Pinewood Studios took a look at the screenplay and they, they liked the idea. Now, I know that 
film probably could probably make you know three or four years before it's being made. So why not do a bit of research, which I did, and let's do a comic. Let's do a before the film. Let's do an origins comic. And I knew that there'd never been a rugby league comic done before. So when I sat down with Rob Elston, and then I sat down with Lee Hicken, who's the creative director, uh, Lee Hicken uh, looked at the idea and thought, this is brilliant. This is fantastic. Uh, you know, we, we should aim to make a, net, a Netflix series of an anime series of David King. So imagine you know, me as a comic character on the Netflix screen, you know, that would be a, an achievement, but it, that's in the works, Mark. So we're looking at going to Netflix and, uh, you know, with Super League being on board with me and, and supporting me and endorsing me, it is a big move. I give myself a big pat on the back, but having an organization, uh, you know, support me like that, you know, because I was a product of Super League. You know, they don't really know about when I when I retired and I lost my houses and I became homeless and I became bankrupt. All these things they don't know about. But that story will come out over time, you know. And I think it's even more incredible that I've gone on and done something like this and then the other things I'm doing from 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 that situation I was in up to now. Uh, I agree. Congratulations yeah. and uh, continued success. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Man, it's been a it's been a journey, but you know, it's uh, it's just I just want the best for my children. You know, I want to leave a legacy for them, and you know, I'm enjoying the grind, man. I'm mean, I'm learning new things. You know, the business side of things. I am like a businessman now. You know, I'm ringing the people up. You know, they've got people ringing me from all over the world, wanting to endorse me and sponsor me. And you know, I've I've met some, so many incredible people over the last 12, 18 months. You know, even on LinkedIn, you know, you reached out to me and I, I saw, you know, you're a very decent guy. Uh, it's very unique when, you know, somebody wants to sit down and listen to your story. Uh, but, you know, it's not like I've got a boring story. I think my story can help many, many people. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, no worries, Mark. Okay. Metro 30 is produced in collaboration with the Youngstown Radio Reading Service. Visit metromonthly.net for news, features, and the Valley's most complete calendar of events. And be sure to subscribe to the Metro 30 podcast. You've got 30 seconds on this phone line. First, I need the name, the number, and the address. You just heard a preview clip from The Burning. Keith is going to tell us a little bit more about this upcoming project. I've been filming this summer on a feature film called The Burning. It's about a guy called Baldwin Cress. He turns a vigilante. I guess it's a bit like Death Wish. You've seen Charles Bronson's Death Wish, a bit like an English version. We've been filming that now uh, the last couple of months, probably halfway through the project now. Uh, and it's, it's actually my first lead in the film. So uh, I'm really excited about it. You know, I've been doing quite a few other projects as well, but this one is is my first lead in in in, a, in an actual film since my debut from Skin Traffic with Mickey Rock and Eric Roberts back in 2013. We we have to wait and then we go to distributors and see if we can get it sold worldwide.